Well, I'm thankful for Mike preaching last week, um, the difficult task of, of giving that he has had to do the last couple of years, and I'm thankful that he was willing to take that on. Earlier on in the week, I was able to go away for a couple of days, went down to a, a camp called Toa Nippy. It's in, really, you go down into New Hampshire and then go west and then come up into uh, Massachusetts and then go west and then come back up into New Hampshire. And so that was really a helpful time for me to get away for a couple days, spent it with some friends. In fact, uh, one of the guys there, one of the pastors, is a, a friend that I've known since I was about five. And so that was really neat to interact with him and to get reacquainted with him. But that was a really refreshing time, and so I'm thankful that I was able to do that. This morning, I'd like to continue in our study of James chapter 5 by looking again at just this one verse. The last time, just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at James chapter 5, verse 12. And so we're just going to do the same thing this morning. Just going to look at one verse in James chapter 5 and verse 13. And we took last week off from James. As I mentioned, Mike was preaching. But you remember that James, in his letter here, he has become to make his... He has come to start his descent, as it were, and that he is closing his letter to these Christians. Like any conclusion that you would write, whether you're writing an email, whether you're writing a letter to somebody, he is coming down and writing his conclusion. And so as we descend with him through these final verses, I want to, I want to slowly savor these verses together. It is a tempting thing to just want to close out a book as soon as you can. But I want to really take the time here and marinate in these final verses together. And so look again at James chapter 5 and verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Within the life of the Christian... We are going to experience various degrees of suffering and cheerfulness. And the question needs to be, as you're going through suffering and as you're going through a time of cheer, the question needs to be, what do we do when we're suffering? What do we do when we are cheerful? And James lays before us this morning two very simple responses that we should have. And I just want to rest in this one verse and really grasp how he wants us to respond. I like how one author describes these two responses here. He says, a spiritual vent is given to both affections of sorrow and to joy. When we're suffering, the trials come into your life, the burdens of life are weighing you down. What do you do? What is your spiritual vent? You fall on your knees and pray. When things are going well and you're in a time of of success and cheer and happiness, everything seems to be going well, you feel encouraged, what do you do? You lift your voice and you sing praise to your God. This is the spiritual vent that God has given to you in times of joy. Praise. Think about this in the context of your relationships. When you're suffering, when you're going through trial, hard times, how good is it to share with another brother or sister? Like to go to that individual within the church and say, I'm suffering, I'm going through this. Maybe you can empathize because the other person has been through a similar thing. It's good to weep with those who weep. It is never good to stay bottled up. If you're suffering this morning, go to another believer and vent and discuss. But on the other side, when you're happy, how good is it to share in that happiness with other people? To rejoice with those who rejoice. To positively vent your joy. 
but greater still having the ability to talk to God when suffering and praising God when cheerful, which is what James directs us to this morning. If you want to follow along with the outline, it can be found on the back of your bulletin. And we're going to begin first with dependence in prayer while suffering. Again, look, look at the beginning of our verse in James chapter 5, verse 5.13. Very simple. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now off the cuff, that, that can seem very simple, can't it? That if you're suffering, pray. Okay, I got it. Let's move on, right? But we have to think a little more about the implications of these first few words. And so the question I'm asking of these words is, is Brandon dependent upon God in prayer when suffering? Is Windsor Christian Fellowship, when different parts of our body is suffering, do they depend upon God in prayer? As we've very clearly seen in this book of the Bible, James expects you to suffer. He expects Christians to suffer. That suffering would be the norm for a follower of Jesus, not the exception. We'll often pray this. You hear people pray this all the time. I've heard it my entire life. You hear people say something like this in prayer. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to worship freely. You've all heard that? We've all said it. But I hope you realize that Christians throughout the history of the church and Christians all over the world right now, they have not had the same opportunity to worship God as freely as we do. That in other parts of the country, parts of the world right now, Christians are sneaking out of their houses. They're sneaking into another quiet place and they're worshiping God quietly. And James's initial audience here in James, is being persecuted. They can't, they can't do this. They can't get a big room, have a big parking lot, fill a bunch of people into it, and worship God freely. They're hiding. They're afraid that somebody's going to come after them and throw them off into jail or worse. So it's not if you encounter trials as a Christian. It's not if you encounter suffering for James. It's when you are encountering trials. And that troubles us. Because when you think about our lives, when you think about our brothers and sisters across the world this morning who have worshipped and snuck out of their houses to worship God, when you think about that, isn't it odd when you compare that to claiming that God is sovereign? So you believe and know that there's suffering and persecution happening in the world. Yet at the same time, you're acknowledging that God is sovereign. And if He is in control of all things, then that must mean that He is the one who brought the trials and suffering into our lives to begin with. We think about Job and all of his suffering. And James recently mentioned Job. Did not God allow all that to fall onto Job? James recently used the prophets as an illustration as well, who suffered in the name of the Lord. Did not God ordain their suffering, when the suffering comes upon us, it becomes very easy to question God, doesn't it? God, why are you bringing me through this? God, I just went through a season of suffering. I need a break. God, I don't understand why you're bringing me through this. Like, What's the purpose of this suffering? I don't get it. I can't see it. But friend, far better to know that suffering has a purpose and not know what that purpose is for a while 
than to have the perspective that suffering serves no purpose at all. Suffering serves a tremendous purpose in the life of a Christian. Suffering in the life of a Christian is not lost on God. It's ordained by God. This is why I so often plead with you not to buy into what we call the prosperity gospel. That if you would only have enough faith, if you could just muster it up within you, then your health issues would go away. Then your financial issues would go away. That it's just all on you, just have faith and a clean bill of health and your debt will go away. That's trash. That is trash. Suffering and incredible Suffering is an incredible instrument in the hands of God that He will use to pull you closer to Him than you could possibly imagine. It is only a good God who can take the suffering brought into the world through the fall of Adam and Eve and use it as an instrument in our lives to draw us back to Him. Like using the result of sin, what drove us away from Him, to actually in the end draw us closer to God. I was in the car the other day on the way home from that retreat that I mentioned. And as I was driving, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata was on the radio. And many of you know Johnny Erickson Tata's story. When she was a teenager, she had this diving accident. And as a result, she became a paraplegic. So she was recounting the story, how it was a hot day. And her and her sister were going to go swimming. And they didn't bother to check the level of the water. And they, she dove in, snapped her neck, and was a paraplegic of course, for the rest of her life. And she recounted, within the couple minutes that I was listening to, she was recounting how she had just recently asked God to draw her closer to Him. And apparently, the answer to the prayer came in the form of suffering. It came in the form of, you want to be close to me, paraplegic for the rest of your life, unable to use her arms and her legs. On top of that, since then, and this is odd for a paraplegic, she has experienced chronic pain. And she has also had cancer. Can you imagine? And God has used this suffering in the life of this dear saint to draw her so close to the Lord. And he has given her a worldwide platform as a result of that suffering to share the gospel with countless individuals. And how God relates to us through suffering. How much He'll draw us close to Himself. Friend, being a Christian does not provide a free pass from suffering. But being a Christian does provide a purpose for the suffering. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 1. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Granted to you. Like this is given to you for the sake of Jesus that you should believe in Him and suffer for Him. If you're in the midst of suffering right now, Christian, you are exactly where God wants you to be. Exactly where God wants you to be. How do we know this? How do we know that suffering is God's will? And some of you are probably thinking that's kind of barbaric to even say that. But Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So Peter says that those who are suffering are suffering because it's the will of God. And while they are undergoing that suffering, what do they do? What does Peter say that they do? 
They entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. I think this is that dependence that we're getting at in our first point here. That dependence upon God within suffering. And so in not so many words, James has a similar command that demonstrates entrusting our souls to God. While suffering, we are commanded to pray. We display the fact that we are dependent upon God in the suffering by responding to it with prayer. Pressed with our faces to the rug. Knees carving out a dent in the floor. Crying out to God. Even groaning because we can't even get the words to form. The word that James uses here for pray is, inten- is intended to indicate a continual prayer. This is not a prayer pr- delivered once or twice while suffering. Really having a tough time here, God. You help me out of it? Once or twice? No. He calls us to the kind of prayer that lasts the duration of the suffering. Incessant prayer. Continual prayer. In any kind of, in any kind of suffering. So you have floods and homes burning. And what do you do? You dependently pray incessantly. The cancer strikes. You dependently pray incessantly. The loneliness, the depression, your family economics are collapsing. Your family relationships are collapsing. You lose your job. You're persecuted for Jesus. You lose a loved one. You can't pay the bills. The kids are sick. And you don't know why they're sick. What do you do? You dependently pray incessantly. Committing to pray while suffering is a demonstration that you are entrusting your soul to God. That you are dependent upon Him. That you can say along with the hymn writer, when all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. I depend on you, God. And I express this in prayer. And I can't help but point you to the example of Jesus in regard to this. We cannot imagine the crushing weight upon Jesus that he felt, knowing what he had agreed to do before time with the Father, that he would come and do for us, that he would come and redeem us. Do you remember like that, that holy ground scenario in Luke chapter 22 where Jesus walks into the garden of Gethsemane with his inner circle of disciples and he knows he's going to die. He knows Judas is off to betray him and the weight of what is going to happen is setting in hotly and what does Jesus do? Does he flee the scene? Does he call the angels? Does he raise up an army? He prays. Listen to these words from Luke. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What an example to us. This is the Lord over all. The supreme Christ 
the one by whom, for whom, through whom, all things even exist and hold together, submitting to his Father's plan of suffering, dependent upon the will of God. And what does he do as these levels of spiritual agony just grow and grow? They're just mounting, right? He prays. And then he prays earnestly. So intense was this pain and the prayer produced from it. That blood is dripping down his face. According to Isaiah 53, Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And what that does is it gives us a a sweet, understanding Savior to accompany us in our own sorrows and grief. Again, Johnny Erickson Tata, she said, God wrote the book on suffering and he called it Jesus. This means God understands. He knows. He's with me. Dear brothers and sisters, are any of you suffering right now? Pray. The cup might not pass depending on what God's will is for you in that suffering. And it did not pass for Jesus. But he drank it. And God hears your prayers. And he is with you. And as one who has endured the suffering, he sympathizes with you. And he will deliver you into the promised land of that great heavenly Canaan. And so that is good news, isn't it? That our lives can be racked with suffering. Like a paraplegic woman who has chronic pain, who has cancer. And you can look off into the distance and have hope because you know that you're going to go to Canaan. You're going to go to heaven. Didn't the hymn writer say it well when he said, Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. We must dependently pray in times of suffering. But second, what about in times of cheer? We're not always suffering. At least, I don't think we are. That's not our current experience. Sometimes things are just flat out great. And in those times, we should give praise. We should praise God when we are cheerful. Look at the end of our verse in verse 13. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now, this is a perfectly normal thing to do, isn't it? When somebody is happy. It's normal to sing when you're happy. It's normal to whistle, to do a little diddly, right? You're just walking along and you're just happy about something and you're singing. But then what happens? Like we become sophisticated adults, right? And we learn that we really shouldn't express our happiness that much. Like we got we to gotta suppress this thing. But even so, it's still not all that uncommon to walk by a person who is whistling away some random tune that they're making up in their head and you think, what are they so happy about? But that's natural. That's natural. You get a job, you get a raise at your job, you're going to have something to whistle about. You get something new, you line up with that vacation, you start the new hobby, you shoot that deer... You get in the starting... I still haven't shot my deer yet, so I'm not happy. You get in the starting lineup for your team. you got something to be happy about. Like, that's normal. 
If you get a deer, if you, if you get that starting uh, position on the soccer team, if you get that vacation, you get that race, whatever it is, like, that is something to be happy about. That is natural. But it is supernatural for the person within a trial to express cheer and praise to God. Singing praise with an engaged mind and an inflamed heart to God is a supernatural act. Don't think of it as anything less. If you sang earlier with a mind engaged with the truth and a heart inflamed with affections for Christ, that is nothing less than supernatural. Anybody can come in here and mumble the words that we've sung together today, but the Christian whose mind is there and their heart is there, man, that's supernatural. To delight in God is a very supernatural event. The man or woman who goes from being an enemy of God to the one who delights in God is the greatest miracle miracle imaginable. In such an event, there is something to give praise to God about. But for some who profess to be Christians, you would never be able to tell that they're delighting in God in a supernaturally cheerful way. You'd have absolutely no clue that they are actually glad in God. Zero. Is not gladness something that is even included in the paragraph on the front of your bulletin? Why, why do we exist? To glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through the evangelization of unbelievers and the edification of believers. So what? So that all might be glad in God. I'm after, and I think God is after, your gladness in Him. Like your cheer, your delight in God this morning. I want you to delight in God. Do you delight in God? Do you express your cheer to God in song like James calls us to this morning? Again, you would never guess that so many professing Christians are cheerful in the Lord with the way that they sing. Even if we're just thinking about the context of the worship service. You'd have zero clue that they have cheer in God. The verse is well known in Ephesians 5.19 where Paul commands the church to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The context of the worship service should look like a musical. Should look like a musical. Like there are so many times I sit up here. I want to turn and I want to look at you. I do. I want to look at you. We're singing to God be the glory. I want to look at you and I want to see if you're singing the same words and meaning it the same way. I want to address one another in this kind of a way. With psalms, with hymns, with spiritual songs. Why? We're making melody to the Lord with our hearts. So we're called to this. To sing. To sing all kinds of songs to God. From the psalms to the hymns to spiritual songs. We sing and make melody to Him. So there's a direction for our song. We're singing up to Him. But then it's from our hearts. From cheerful hearts. Specific application. Dads and husbands. I think that we are some of the biggest culprits. In regard to not expressing our cheer to God through song. And being a dad and a husband. I feel comfortable coming after you. With a strong admonition in this area. As one who fails in it all the time. When you come to worship dad. When you come to worship husband, you should be singing the loudest in your family. You are the leader of your family. Demonstrate, men, 
What it would look like to sing to your sing above your wife and your kids. What it looks like to delight in God, singing praise to God. Brothers, when you have family worship at home, something that if you're a member of our church, you have covenanted that you would do. It's in it's in there. You should be cheerfully singing above your whole family with joy. I don't care if you can't sing. I don't care if you're tone deaf. I don't care if you don't know the songs. You should be singing with gusto. Like how cool is it when there's like a pause in the song and all the kids like start singing? Like they don't really know the song, but they're jumping at it anyway. That should be you. Don't be so sophisticated. Sing with cheer. Like we have this tendency to suppress that and our happiness and our gladness in worship. We may even be happily affected in our hearts and we're thinking about the truths that we have sung and we love it, but we'll squash any kind of emotive response to the singing. Heaven forbid that a smile would creep across your face when you consider the goodness of God on your behalf. Whoa. May it never be that a tear would roll down your cheek in public thinking about the bloody sacrifice of Jesus for you. We suppress the joy. We suppress the cheer. We suppress any emotion. As if God is more pleased with your stoicism. Stoicism honors God, not expression of our cheer. Give me a break. Some of you are thinking Brandon is advocating for like charismatic chaos. (laughs) I am not a charismatic. I don't want anybody dancing on the pulpit. I don't want you rolling in the aisles. That's not it. All I'm saying is that it's a terribly sad thing for a man of God to profess Christ, bought by the blood of the Lamb, chosen from the foundation of the world, saved out of lifelong misery apart from God, promised eternal life and glory forever. And how sad is it for that dude who can barely open his mouth with a song to this God who has done all of that for him. When it comes to your relationship with God and the words that we sing about him, have you nothing to be cheerful about ever? The Christian has everything to be cheerful about. I love what John Owen said. Singing was a means appointed of God whereby men should express their joy in a way of thankfulness. So you're feeling supernaturally cheerful this morning. What do you do? You sing like we did this morning. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. So love to you the world that he gave us his son. But for some of us while singing that, it looked more like bad news than good news. Let alone the greatest news to ever come into the world. So to God be the glory. Great things he has done. I hope nobody hears my voice. Worthy is the lamb seated on the throne. I guarantee you when you're in heaven, you're singing worthy is the lamb. You're going to be doing a little more than like a centimeter out of your mouth. Our God is mighty to save. Yeah, what's the big deal? <laughs> Men, how would your wife respond if on her next birthday you bring home a dozen roses? You come home, you hand them to her, and you say these sort of words in this sort of way. I'm just thankful for you. Like you sound like Eeyore. When you... <laughs> you do great things for our family. I'm not worthy to be your husband. You're a great wife. I love you. Just so much. (laughs) Friend, even in just the specific application of cheerfully singing in worship, I understand that we come to worship so many times kind of sad. 
heavy week, right? Suffering, issues. It's all that we could do maybe to get to worship this morning. It took every ounce to get out of bed, knowing that you have to go to work the next morning. And we, have all, we all have those kinds of Sunday mornings. I have those Sunday mornings. But don't you come to worship at times with a heart full of cheer too? And express that? At least when you come and you begin to hear the truths and you're reminded again that although you had a hard week, you come in and you say, to God be the glory. And you're reminded of the truth. And you hear God's word read. And you're reminded of the truth. And you see communion. And you're reminded of the truth. And you hear preaching. And you're reminded of the truth. Is your heart not at least then stoked to cheerfulness when you consider the work of Jesus on your behalf? What on earth are we doing with this religion? If our affections are not stoked for Christ. Friends, if the devil were to walk by our church this morning, what would he think about our worship? There he goes walking down the reed road. It's a summer morning. All the windows are open. He hears us singing. What does the devil hear? Would he describe what he hears as cheerful, supernatural praise? Would it be without a doubt in his mind that we are people of cheerful conviction with our joy in God, his enemy? And this produces within us the cheerful hearts and lips full of praise to our God and hearing such a sound, the devil hates it. Like it sounds like a battle cry to him, that it terrifies him to hear the Windsor Christian Fellowship Regiment sing. Is that how Satan would feel if he walked by? Or would Satan content himself in the fact that we can barely get our mouths open? That we don't really believe what we're singing. That really, ultimately, there's not that much cheer in our hearts. And he's got nothing to worry about. Church family, could it be that we tend toward austerity and reserve? Because we view God as austere and reserved. Given God hates sin. He is a holy, consuming fire. He is righteous He does not take things lightly. But Christian, you have a God who is totally happy. God is happy. He is holy, joyful. Like some of us really struggle to imagine God this way, don't we? Like when you think about God, you're generally, the first thing that you think about is not going to be happiness. We imagine him in heaven like a kid with a magnifying glass wanting to zap us like little ants. But brothers and sisters, God is happy. And he is happy with us. We are his children. We have been adopted with us. He, he, we have been adopted for him. He is not like a wicked stepmother. He is a joyful father rejoicing and exulting over us as his children. Like if you, you fathers, I've seen you interact with your kids. You're not austere and reserved. Most of you are the other way. But our God is happy with us as his children. Not because of in and of yourselves, you and how wonderful you are. But because of what he has done for you by Christ. He is happy. Some of you might be thinking, like this is a serious news flash to think of God as happy. And others of you might not believe me and think that this is simply too good to be true. But listen to this verse, which I think backs up all that I've just said. <coughs> Zephaniah 3.17. Write this down and look at it at home. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. 
He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. The King James and a bunch of other versions say something to this effect. He will joy over thee with singing. As the Lord our God, right? The victorious warrior, he will exult over you with joy. He'll quiet you with his love and then he'll sing over you with, with, he'll rejoice over you with singing. Like what would it be like to hear God sing over us? What does it sound like for God to sing? Exulting, exulting over those whom he has purchased. Singing over us. But exulting and singing in and to himself. So singing over you, but singing to and for himself. Fathers, to get back to my earlier application, I think that your children would get a taste of what it would look and feel like to have God exalt over them and to sing over them by the way that you exalt and sing over them. Your singing over them and praise to your God will leave an indelible mark on your children and make them long for what it would be like for God to exalt and sing over them. We have a God of cheer. He is joyful. And it is in the presence of God's joy that you and I are going to rest forever. Is it what... Was it not mentioned a couple weeks ago in the passage or last week that Mike preached? Mentioned at least twice. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Friend, I confess as we close that I find these two options in James 5.13 to be very difficult to obey. I find these hard in life practically to obey. It's difficult to depend on God in prayer when I'm going through a hard time. It's difficult to delight in God when I'm cheerful. I find that hard. Which is why these words from James are so important for me to hear this morning. I need the reminder. And I think you need the reminder that when we are suffering, we need to pray incessantly. And when we are cheerful, we need to delight in God in prayer, in praise incessantly. And so what about you? Do you depend upon God in prayer while suffering? Do you delight in God by singing his praises while cheerful? May God help us to do that. Let's pray.